there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So, buongiorno to my favorite history buffs, and welcome to another bit of the best and brightest podcast on the airwaves. Very glad to have you back, gearing up for summer, which I am so happy about. (laughs) By the way, I mean, like, I turn into like a literal solar panel and just soak up all the sun into my soul, into my heart, into my everything. (laughs) And it feels amazing. And, oh my God, not to mention that hiking has opened up, which is uh, such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm also working on a few other exciting things for you guys that I honestly can't wait to share with you all when the time is right. So enough about surprises. Let's get to the stories. Yay, let's get to the stories. So last week, we featured the story of the first lady of nursing, Florence Nightingale, who makes her home among the most amazing women in the history of our existence. Now, on the podcast so far, I featured the stories of caregivers, doctors, and nurses, and I thought it would be awesome to highlight a story of triumph from a less shared perspective of the patient. The individual we'll be featuring in this week's story truly floored me when I first learned about it. I mean, honestly, and oddly enough, Although this individual's actions establishes them as one of the greats, they are one of the lesser known icons that I've shared on the podcast. Like they have a host of sort of like independent media about them, but nothing super mainstream like a lot of the other individuals that I featured. And with that being said, their story and personality is larger than life groundbreaking, and just beyond moving. So I just felt it in my heart that this would be the perfect story to share with you guys. And this individual had to face and overcome significant discrimination while they were striving to be considered just as a normal person. Society wasn't ready to accept their differences and made every attempt to undermine this person's efforts in establishing equality. So without giving away too much of the story, it's safe to say that the liberties afforded to a large group of otherwise marginalized people were hard fought and won because of this individual's determination and strength to fight for what they believed in. And like I've said before, unfortunately, I literally knew nothing about this individual, which I thought was just a crime, a total crime, because their story is just so amazing. So I adore an underdog story, and this is an underdog story of the century. So let's get right into it. This week, we'll be featuring the campaigner, the crusader, the challenger, Edward Vern Roberts or as his more well-known moniker, Ed Roberts. Ed Roberts was born on January 23rd, 1939 
in San Mateo, California. He was the oldest of four children, born to his parents, Zona and Vern. You guys know I had to comment on Zona. It's Z-O-N-A, Zana or Zona. Either way, amazing. (laughs) Iconic. I love it. Ed was described as a bright and active child, always on the move and chatting with whoever were listening. Throughout his school years, Ed was an avid athlete, playing many sports. And when he reached his teen years, he joined a baseball team. In 1953, when Ed was 14 years old and returning home from a baseball game, he mentioned to his mother that he wasn't feeling well. Ed had planned to go out again that evening, but his mother forbid it and told him to rest. That next morning, Ed's symptoms had worsened overnight and were accompanied by a high fever. While the family wasn't particularly alarmed just yet, they decided to call the doctor who would come directly to the home. A doctor paying home visits. I mean, that's how you know this was way back in the day. When the doctor examined Ed, he realized that Ed's illness was likely viral and dire, immediately recommending that Ed be transported to a hospital. At the hospital, Ed was able to walk to his room and still retain mobility at this point. The medical team performed a spinal tap as they believed he had meningitis. And a short time later, Ed's health took a dive and he was rushed to the ER. Within the next day, Ed was placed inside an iron lung as his organs began to shut down and he was officially diagnosed with polio. So for those such as myself who aren't super familiar with polio, I'd like to share the official definition from the CDC. Polio is a disabling and life-threatening disease caused by the polio virus. The virus spreads from person to person and can infect a person's spinal cord, causing paralysis. Now at the time, very little was known about polio and it was regarded as a terminal illness. So basically a death sentence. Naturally, Ed's family was devastated with his diagnosis and took turns staying with him at the hospital. Ed would spend many months in various hospitals being supported by his family as they navigated his 24-7 care needs and shuttled him to various specialists. Unfortunately, the polio vaccine wouldn't be developed for another two years, and Ed's mobility didn't return. As such, Ed became a quadriplegic, but he wasn't completely dependent on his iron lung. Ed had developed a technique to breathe without it, called frog breathing, so he was able to leave it for short periods of time. It took a couple years from Ed's diagnosis until he returned to his own home. Ed would enroll in high school at the age of 14, coincidentally the same one his mother attended, at the urging of his mother. We can only imagine Ed's mental state after his ordeal and his youth being spent in a hospital. He was depressed, he was sorrowful, very caught up in despair very despondent, so it was very difficult for him to get up the motivation to do very basic things like feed himself. And Ed would take classes via telephone, but eventually, 
After working through his trepidations, he'd returned to school in person for his senior year, which was largely in due to the encouragement of his mother. Ed initially refused due to the anxiety of being stared at by his classmates. But with his mother's encouragement and a change of perspective, Ed began to look at himself as a star instead of a helpless cripple, as he described himself previously. While at school, Ed excelled at his studies and was able to finish high school by the age of 20. And this is when Ed would encounter his first bout of blatant discrimination against his medical condition. Unfortunately, the social climate at the time was not understanding or accommodating of those with disabilities, and disabled individuals were hardly recognized as people at this point. Although Ed had completed the required credits, his school denied allowing him to graduate because of the physical education and driver's education requirements. Again, at this point, Ed was completely paralyzed except for two fingers and toes, so completely unable to complete either one of those courses. Ed's mother suggested that his physical therapy at home be substituted for credits, but the school recommended that Ed should take another year to make up for two classes. When Ed's mother met with a member of the school board to assess the situation, the representative asked Ed, you wouldn't like a cheap diploma, would you? implying that if Ed didn't complete his physical education and driver education credits, his diploma would be less than others who are taking the courses. It sounds like a quote from a bad movie, but this was confirmed as witnessed by Ed's mother. This person actually said this. I just can't conceive or understand why my academic career would be cheapened by me not completing P.E. in driver's ed. Like... I mean, it was definitely a different time back then, but just, I just can't, just doesn't correlate. Ed's mother was his first champion, and she would not accept the decision by a long shot, reaching out to the superintendent of schools about Ed's situation for a resolution. Ultimately, due to the advocacy by his mother, Ed was granted his diploma and graduated high school. Ed would later say that watching his mother fight for his right to graduate so relentlessly really cemented his sense of self-worth and confidence. Good on you, Mom. After receiving his high school diploma, Ed enrolled in San Mateo Community College and would eventually transfer to the University of California in Berkeley. Upon his arrival at UC Berkeley, Ed would encounter the same resistance that he'd experienced in his previous educational experiences. The school attempted to deny his ability to attend after it was discovered that he was a disabled individual on the grounds that his iron lung wouldn't fit in his dormitory. At this obstacle, a member of the university offered for Ed to use one of the rooms in the campus hospital. In 1962, Ed was considered the first disabled student to attend the school using a wheelchair and thus paved the way for other disabled students to attend after him. Ed was studying public policy and became inspired to make change for those with disabilities on his campus after witnessing all of the intense discrimination and lack of accommodations. Other disabled students began attending, and Ed was regarded as a leader for all of his pioneering work to get on campus. 
With Ed's organizing, a group called the Rolling Quads was created, which were composed of disabled students, a first in the country. The group campaigned for more accessibility for students with disabilities, just the basics, such as ramps for wheelchairs. The Rolling Quads were the beginning of Ed's focused activism into civil rights for individuals with disabilities. The group would help to implement several improvements to the campus, as well as establishing one of the first student disability programs in the country. Ed would go on to complete his bachelor's program, his master's program, and start his PhD program while at school, keeping up with his activism work along with his schoolwork. This guy was not playing games, having to deal with all these health issues, plus schoolwork, plus activism. This is a a full card right here. Ed also battled medical problems and illnesses throughout this period, but would always return to his work. With Ed's influence and momentum, while he was at school, the Berkeley Center for Independent Living was created. At the time, Ed was a teacher at another school, but would return to Berkeley to help with establishing the new organization. A few years later, all the while continuing his work for Disabilities Visibility, Ed became the director of the California Department of Vocational Rehabilitation, which was an organization that had previously resisted granting Ed the ability to work, labeling him as too disabled. What a great full circle story, by the way, that he would become the director of the organization that had previously denied him. I mean, perfect. Chef's kiss. Ed would also orchestrate one of the biggest protests for disability rights while at UC Berkeley. Ed organized the 504 sit-in, which was fighting for basic civil rights for the disabled, such as the right to not be denied benefits or discriminated against due to their disability, based on the enforcement of Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. The sit-in lasted for a total of 28 days in the offices of the Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare Building located in San Francisco. Many civil rights groups assisted the protesters, such as the Black Panthers and the Butterfly Brigade, which is just an all-around fun name for a civil rights organization. I just had to share that. It was awesome. And that they were helping. So cool. Eventually, the group's efforts were recognized and rewarded with a meeting, which resulted in Section 504 being signed into law. This protest, and many others like it, helped to establish and create the overarching Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 later on down the line. But Ed didn't stop there. Although so much progress had been made, Ed would go on to found the World Institute on Disability. He would also be awarded the MacArthur Genius Grant, one of the highest honors in the world for his continued impact and work on helping the disability community. And just on a personal note, all throughout this time, Ed would meet, date, and marry a lady, and they would have a child together, breaking down additional barriers for those who were disabled with the assumption that they weren't able to sustain families or to have children. 
With all of his activism work, Ed became a global figurehead for disability rights while constantly battling various health problems of his own. His personality was always described as helpful, upbeat, and smiling, ready to show people that being disabled wasn't the end of the world. This attitude was one of the main points that drew people to him. His supporters and others with disability, leaders, and people who were inspired by him. It was just that strong. Edward Roberts would pass away due to medical complications on March 14, 1995, at the age of 56. On May 15, 1995, Ed's wheelchair was given to the National Museum of American History to forever memorialize his pioneering work within the disabilities rights movement. Stories like these, I mean, truly set my soul and heart on fire. I mean it, no cliches. It is just beyond impactful to learn about the grit and the strength of character of some people. You know, having the ability to move to walk, to speak, to hear. These are all privileges that a lot of us take for granted on a daily basis. And to hear about the story of someone who, you know, is considered to be disadvantaged because of these things. And yet, you know, I know plenty of people who have not even (laughs) come close to the achievements by Ed. And he was, according to some people, severely disabled and disadvantaged. I would not agree at all. He seems to be more capable than a lot, like I said, a lot of people. So it is just so encouraging and heartbreaking as well to read about the hardships and hurdles that he had to surpass in order to make it, just to have a baseline to live. Ed built his life and legacy on empowerment during a time when society barely even acknowledged his existence. With the help and support of his loved ones, mentors, and supporters, Ed was able to defy all expectations and unfair labels that were placed on him without his consent, I might add. Dogma will be the death of you. I mean, that's just my personal anecdote, but it's so true. So in just living his regular life and just demanding what he knew that he deserved, He was able to uplift and inspire so many of his peers, as well as the world. Because of Ed's actions, the standards at Berkeley set the stage for protections for those with disabilities throughout the country. And it all started with Ed believing in himself and in his ability and right to be treated as an independent member of society. And God, how hard is it to believe in oneself? I mean one of the largest feats, to put it lightly. And he had to overcome so much more than most of us to get there. And of course, I have to end it on an epic quote from the man himself. He was definitely an everyman, and I think that's what makes the story even more endearing. Ed, he was any of us who just wanted the ability to live and to help others. So, quote from him. We realized that we could change some things. And the first thing we do is change our own attitudes about ourselves. 
Be proud of who we were and what we were and go out and change it for others and for ourselves. The most important part of that is working with other people. You move away from your own problems to help somebody else. And that liberated me. When I realized I could help others, it made me a lot freer to help myself. So you can check us out at our website at madeofmetalpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. And that's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I think it will be Memorial Day. So happy Memorial Day, everybody. I hope you guys enjoy. I love each and every one of you. And please do not forget to bloom where you are planted. Bye.